Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. God bless you. Good morning. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, MIP is COVID free. Free meaning you don't need a subscription to MIP every day now for a limited time. While we endure this pandemic, we want to make it available to everyone. So wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, MIP is COVID free and available to you and everyone without a subscription. Oh my God, we don't get to talk to him as much as we used to in the middle of this pandemic but we're glad to talk to him whenever we can. World-renowned, internationally known superstar, winner of a Grammy and an Oscar. Um, pandemic is over, he'll go back and compete for that Emmy and that Tony, so we have all four. He's also a journalist. He's a songsmith and a wordsmith. But the most important title of all is that he's Catherine Smith's husband. Since 1964, the news, while there's still time to do something about it, Songsmith, Wordsmith, Sam Smith. Everybody, it's Sam Smith. Who I found is Sam Smith. Hello. Sam Smith, Sam Smith's called In the Lonely Hour. Number one in ice. He's on everybody's one to watch list for 2014. Give it up for Sam Smith. Sam Smith's coming up right after this. It was a Monday. Hey man, how are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Always good to talk to you. How are you guys holding up up there in Maine? Well, um, we're doing pretty good. But you know, if, if being a writer and a historian, you're sort of used to working alone. 
Right. And so this whole thing doesn't seem as strange as it does to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not so bad. So you guys are pretty much still staying in the house and you go, they still bring the groceries out to the car when you go to the grocery store. That's right. That's right. And, um, I make a little list. Like after I talk with you, I got to go to the grocery store and the bank and recycle. And um, we also have a farm right near us. And every week we can go and pick up some vegetables. And the only, only problem is they sometimes they give me kale, and and I don't believe in kale. You don't. You can't no, say. That. I think it's. I think there's a kale conspiracy against spinach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like that. So now, um, Maine's numbers are pretty flat, right? Right. In fact, uh, according to the New York Times today, they were one of three states where they was going down. Good. But it has been pretty good. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, thankfully, um, you all obviously are doing something right. Um, and obviously, you all, everything hasn't reopened there yet, has it? No, no. And Mainers are kind of used to working on their own, you know. You're all special lot. So but now, fun. your senator looks like she's in more trouble than ever. Why wouldn't uh, Kavanaugh help her out, man, and, and vote the way she <laughs> needed him to? Well, I don't know that gratitude is a big factor in Washington. Uh so I think once you're there, you sort of forget about how you got there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not putting any bets on this senatorial race. It's still too close to call. Really? But yeah, but she's only four points ahead, and that could be. That could change very easily. But who's four points ahead? Collins or Gideon? Sarah. Sarah Collins is. Uh, uh, is she four points ahead or four behind? I can't. Yeah, four behind. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so that's not a big margin. That's not a big margin. Sarah Gideon is the Speaker of the House. Is running against her, a uh, Freeport person. So uh, we've known her, and she's fine. She'll be good. It seems to me the same wave of women voters that swept Sarah Gideon and others into power would churn out Susan Collins. I can't, I don't know, I'm, I can't for the life of me figure out why it's still even close. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, I wonder too, because I don't see much about her that is all that appealing. Um, and um, it may, de may depend on the turnout. You know, that would be one factor that is sometimes hard to tell is how heavy the turnout will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now something, something's got to be done. Um, You've written a piece. Your essay is always great. You shared some thoughts about the, um, well, your title, Beyond Chokeholds and Confederate Statues. What is Beyond Chokeholds and Confederate Statues, Sam? Well, I, I think there's, there's an aspect of this whole thing that we don't talk about much, and that is how do you create a positive society? Not just do away with the bad things, but how do you create a positive society which works well? And um, to my mind, one of the few people, one of the few major activists who's doing something along these lines is Reverend Barber. 
but I have always also felt this way for a long time. And um, a couple things in my own life, um, I think, led me in this direction. First was when I was in ninth grade, I took one of two courses in the country on anthropology. And we weren't lectured about anti-racism or anything like that. We were just introduced to the reality of the world and how many different cultures and how they were different. And the fascinating thing was when I got to college, there were 20 anthropology majors and five of us came from my high school. That's how strong that was. And you think about it, ninth grade is the perfect time to do something like that because you don't like your own culture. Mm. So um, you can be introduced. And I, mean, I would do it these days. I would do it at a much earlier age. I would have third grade where you just introduce people to kids to the variety of cultures in our world and, and, and take a different sort of approach to it so that we have to deal with the negative aspects, but we also have to deal with the positive. And, um, for example, on the police things, yes, you want to stop chokeholds, but you also have to figure out um, how you can get the police to be more responsible. And for example, I mean, I've proposed, for well, first of all, well, going back to the 60s, I argued that we ought to get the cops out of their cars and back into the neighborhoods. So they were really dealing with real people. And now it's, the other thing is that I'd like to see uh, lawyers and social workers assigned to police precincts both train the officers and also there to help them. And that could change it. You are not at all in contradiction with the cries to defund the police, Sam. Well, yeah, I, only as a writer, I, I have a problem with that term. Uh, Tell us why. Well because, it, well, because some people uh, think that... Um, that he means taking away all the money from the police. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's just one of those words that didn't seem to me to be all that smart used. About, there is a major, there is, there is no doubt that, for example, there was a recent piece I was reading today about facts about school policing and how much problems that creates. And I think that that's something that uh, certainly can defund. Um, but about calls to abolish the police seems like, you know, you've been one who's always advocated restorative justice, too. Seems right. to me like you might not be that opposed to that. No, I'm I, I have I have no problems with having a police department, but they have to have. I, you know, I came across a 1968 report by the Black United Fund of Washington. and. They were recommending things back in 1968, um, such as having neighborhood control over the local precincts, which is something that I also supported that, you know, that you make the police responsible. And we had a bit of that in Washington with the neighborhood commissions, um, but it wasn't formal. And it's that sort of thing that I would uh, get into. That's not a bad idea. So back to educating people, something is happening, especially with young people. They're the ones that are taking down the statues. Right. There's this reckoning 
about history, even Columbus. Um, I, I think that's a good thing. And this is an, a moment we should not let just pass us by in terms of continuing to educate people. Yeah, uh, but I would be inclined to, I mean, I have a, a not too popular theory that um, liberals, as they have become better educated in the last few decades, um, have become uh, less responsive to the kind of issues that liberals were into in, say, the Johnson administration or the or the New Deal. And um, this is something that's really missing. And part of it is, I think, that when you have this much emphasis on symbolism, that's a sign of someone who's well-educated academically, but doesn't really understand the politics of the situation. Because um, if you're thinking about how you spend your time, sure, get rid of the uh, Confederate statue, but uh, spend your time on other stuff. Um, real organizing and change, like um, getting local community control of the police department. That's right. That's right. I agree with you. I agree. And 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 the other thing is that um, we need to show people, uh, teach people, and starting with the young, on how complex uh, our cultures are. Uh, you know, as you know, in Washington, uh, black didn't really describe much. I mean, what are you talking about? If you're talking politically, you're talking about Anacostia, you're talking Upper 16th Street, Adams Morgan. Um, you're talking different classes. Um, the thing about Washington, one of the things when I think back about it was that how complex the cultural uh, elements were. Um, did you did you go to Howard or did you only have a high school education, for example? That sort of thing. And and that's very important, I think, for people to realize that um, ethnicity describes something, but it doesn't describe it all by a good deal. You've also written a piece, Confronting the Strong, Confront the Strong, Convert the Weak. What do you mean by that, Sam? Well, uh, it's it's been my feeling all along, not just about these issues, but about all issues, that you go after the people in power. Because the people in power, among other things, have been distorting how the weak feel. Yeah. And... Uh, Lating. They, 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 yeah. Manipulating how the weak feel. Manipulating how the people feel. And so part of the... Part of the trick is to, to get back so that you can be in touch with the weak and, and change their mind. And one thing, one factor which I guess no attention is that our membership in labor unions has declined by about two-thirds in the recent decades. And if you think about it, labor unions were not just for organizing, they also educated people politically and socially. And so with the decline of labor unions, we've uh, sort of given more opportunity to the Republicans and people like Trump. Yeah. To your point about liberals seeing some of the battleground they once had, mm -hmm. and you and I have talked about this before, 
I still can't quite figure it out. I mean, we had your buddy Clinton and the DLC. We know what that did. That that a lot of fault lies at that doorstep. Yeah, right. We're going to conservatize, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, the Democratic Party. But let, we can go back even further than that. I still can't quite figure out. And speaking of even labor, why so many people surrendered to Ronald Reagan. I mean, I, I looked at that as the most recent Sam turning point. You know, something, I mean, it, it was like, well, I guess I do know. I mean, they, they, there was such a, speaking of the week, there was such a mystification that was set up around him. Right. And everybody just fell for it. And, and those of us who wanted to fight it were almost convinced that it was impossible to fight. Just give, he's just uh, uh, a Reagan. And I just never went for it, man. I never went for any of it. And I was a young man. I was a teenager. I'm like, I ain't feeling none of this. Uh, <laughs> and so many people did. Um, yeah. And I think two people mistakenly were too hard on Jimmy Carter. Um, the, 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 what they call the malaise speech, which I think was really meant to be something else. People took that as weakness. And then this era or argument of American exceptionalism, yeah. see, that goes against what you're saying. When you start talking American exceptionalism, you're really saying to me, which saying to me the weak be damned, you know? And I just want to be considered up here with the strong, even if I'm not really strong. I watch the right. news, so I think I'm strong. No, I'm not. I'm really part one of the weak who's being thoroughly propagandized every day. Yeah. Uh, my thinking is that television played a major role in this. And if you think about it, that Reagan and Trump are both creatures of television. And, um, and this has, uh, it hasn't been given enough credit or criticism for the effect it's had on our political system. Before television, even corrupt politicians had to serve their communities <laughs> because saw. they had, I mean, that was their constituency. Right. And, and uh, the corruption was on top of all that. Uh, and we're in a situation now where um, that's very hard to beat because it's so much a part of our lives. Now, it may be that the young, which we're seeing very active now, uh, that maybe part of that is they haven't been watching television as much as their seniors. And that may be a factor that's worth looking into. And well, they definitely have more choices. They have and more choices. They program their own choice. Remember, you and I just had three or four channels. We had no choice. Right. So. And that's now, my, I may have said this before, but my, my, my basic feeling about Trump is that I, I always knew there was something wrong with Trump because I was, grew up on comic books before television. Right. Um, you didn't hear what I just said. What's that? That's probably the first time I've ever compared us age-wise. I said, you and I grew up on three or four channels. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry about that. You're ahead of me. Yeah. But... That's one thing we do have in common. And these kids, um, they, um, I'm pointing at my son over there. They, 
they have their own programming, you know, right. and they have more choices and, and all mm-hmm. of that. But but the the unfortunate part about it, as we said earlier, there's not the knowledge or the um, uh, uh, the orientation, I should say, toward the actual organizing that's necessary. Because after a point, and I always go back to what we did. I say this to you all. Uh, Sam was a member of the police task force we had in D.C. And we did actual work. That's before anybody thought about painting the street with Black Lives Matter. And that's fine. But I've said police are governed locally. So we got into the local politics and Sam and I and others, y'all, almost were running the police department every day. I'm going to be honest with you, you know, and the police department was was being held accountable. They were, we put some fear into them um, because there was the threat of mass demonstration. That was always in our back pocket. And so that's what we need to get back to. But I think you're right, the TV, Ronald Reagan, a lot of people don't know this history either, Sam. I tell you what, since, since you're home, right? You know what you should do? You should do a side-by-side comparison of Reagan and Trump as TV personalities, starting <laughs> with bad hairstyle. Right? I mean... I'm going to let you do this. <laughs> you're not going to do it? That's no, the, that's it. That's, that's be too dismal a job. But I, I think people need to... My point is... Yeah. People need to know how people like that come into power and how they govern. That's right. Reagan was a prop. Uh-huh. He was central casting. Trump is central casting, but more of an extra. He's gone bad. And really, Reagan wasn't great. Remember, they didn't have reality TV. They had, what, what do we call it, Sam? B-movies? Uh-huh. He made B-movies. You know, yeah. and speaking of the Confederacy... He was, um, well, I don't think he was in the Confederacy, but he was the soldier that hunted down and killed John Brown in one of his movies. Did you know that, Ronald Reagan? No. I was looking at, that was a movie. Um, we're going to keep talking. While we're talking, I'm going to look it up, y'all. But there's a movie with Ronald Reagan in it where he was the one who apprehended and um, executed John Brown. Huh. Uh, I'm going to pull it up. But I, I, I think that you're... Right. But talk to us more about con- converting the weak, because, again, I think that's well, it's part a, of the it's, a, it's part of the whole story of America. Uh, and if you look at it, you can see it most dramatically in the South, where um, in the wake of, of plantations and slavery, you still have a system in which the powerful basically achieve their power in part by fooling the weaker people of their sect. Uh, to blame somebody else, in this case, blacks. And um, it's it's something which is a, a very chronic problem where the powerful do do complaints of the weak. And that's part of the problem that we have. And I think that one of the problems with the young today is that, in part because they don't have television, um, is that they're more into niches, into their own niche, and that's very good, but but if we're going to achieve change, you have to figure out a way to work with other people, and um, and I think this is uh, uh, one of the things that we need to move towards. 
So Ronald Reagan plays General Custer in the Santa Fe Trail, nineteen forty. Mm-hmm. You don't remember that? No. And he uh, is the one who captures John Brown, which I didn't know. Is that factual? Did General Custer capture John Brown? I don't, I don't think I went to many movies like that when at that age. But, but I'm trying I went to, to it. you don't remember from real life though, do you? No. You didn't. <laughs> um, I wasn't there. No, I was, I was in New England. <laughs> you went around there. Yeah, but, uh, but do you uh, these phones listen to us, Sam. When I went to look this up, I put in John Brown movie and then Google finished the rest before I typed it. It said with Ronald Reagan. How did it know I was going to ask that? <laughs> Have you noticed that's that? scary. I'm, I'm, I, I haven't run into that, but I, I think that's kind of scary, especially on these phones. Man, every time you type something. It, it, it knows what's what's going on. But you're right. We, we have a responsibility to the least of us. And I think that's your point, Sam. Um, that's a Quaker principle, too, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I, the Quakers were much uh, worked with other people from different cultures much easier. Um, and um, I think that it's something that that you know. I'm I, I'm so proud of the fact that Marion Barry called me a cynical cat, but in fact, I'm also uh, probably a good deal more optimistic than a lot of people these days. And because I have seen, I have been gone through an era in which things did dramatically improve, and um, I'd like to see that again. Um, Marion Barry also disagreed with you about police on the street. When we talked to him about that, he yeah. said, Parker Sam, the crooks have cars now. Crooks aren't walking down the street. Police need to be in the cars to chase the crooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of working with us, well, you know, I never asked you this too. Let me ask you this while we're here. Quaker. Wasn't Richard Nixon a Quaker? I believe he was one of those West Coast Quakers. Oh, so that is that why he was Quaker? I mean, I don't, I think, I can't remember exactly, but they, uh, uh, they were, they were considerably different than the East Coast ones. Fifteen years ago, you took part in a conference of progressives, of divergent ideologies. Talk to us about that experience. Yeah, this was a uh, group of, of different parties, socialists, uh, Marxists, uh, Green, um, um, Ross Perot was there, um, his party. And the idea was to see whether we could come up with anything that we could agree on. Hmm. And we met all day long, and the procedures included things like everybody having three little yellow stickers with their names on it, so that when we had a poster with a list of ideas on it. Everybody could put a sticker on that, on the one they liked. And then if they were the only one who liked that idea, then they could go up again and move the sticker. But it was that sort of approach. And we came up, I forget how many issues we came up agreeing on, but it was a fascinating model of something that you very rarely see in politics. And there's a huge opportunity now 
when you think about it, for Blacks, Latinos, women's groups, labor unions to come together and try something like this. It's something that the, uh, that the establishment would like least of all would be to see that sort of uh, unity. And you only have to unify for the issues you're working on. It doesn't say that you can't be off on other things. Yeah. But um, there's, a, there's a real potential there, and I think it could uh, make a huge difference. Unity in diversity. When we had the Mosier Party in D.C., that was our uh, uh, slogan. That was our uh, African symbol from Ghana, a Dinkra symbol. Unity in diversity. The two-headed mm-hmm. crocodile is what that meant. Um, yeah, that's exactly what we need. Yeah. Do we, we kind of have that? Are we moving toward that somewhat in terms of this presidential race? Or is everybody just agreeing out of desperation and urgency uh, to I, get behind Joe Biden? Yeah, I don't. I don't think this could be. Uh, I think certainly things will be better under Biden, but I'm not sure that that is going to be. I I I come from. A, I learned about politics in Philadelphia and Boston, and I've realized now that I have a much lower respect for politicians than an awful lot of people do. They sort of expect them to be the ministers to save the world, right. and my argument is that change occurs between elections and that the politicians merely reflect how much progress you've made. Yeah. So um, if you don't like Biden because he isn't far enough to the left, it's because the activism hasn't been good enough. Yeah. But, uh, but I think we will make some headway. But I think it's important at a time like this. I mean, I felt all during the Trump administration, isn't it too bad that, that Sane governors didn't come together and form some sort of informal group, just meet regularly and put out their own news releases and their own statements. Because I think at a time like this, it's very important to know. And we used to we used to have a better sense of this thanks to things like the activism of religion and uh, of, of other nonprofits, academia, that sort of thing. Um, and I think we could do it again. You think Biden's going to win? Well, I, I've, I've got him up, I think, about nine points on my five-point average right now. So that's good. Okay. That is good. Uh, you're any closer to settling on who you think should be his running mate, Sam? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't been very, I guess... Without a great deal of thought, I would say Susan Rice or Camila Harris, but um, I don't have a strong feeling about it because I think it's something that has to be analyzed the hell out of. Yeah. (laughs) Marcos of Daily Coast said to me the other day that it may not matter anymore who he picks because he keeps rising in the polls. He thinks people get the importance of voting for him. So it may, it may have a negligible impact whomever he picks. I don't know. Right. Right. But uh, one, one question I have for you Mm -hmm. is why are non-evangelical ministers 
less influential than they used to be. I mean, if you think about the 60s civil rights movement, right, and you think about it now, what, what is it? Is it because churches are too expensive to maintain and people are more cautious or what? A couple things. I, I think TV is a culprit as, as well. Mm-hmm. There was, un, unlike non-evangelical members and non-evangelical members did not really see or seek even the same political influence that evangelicals did. Uh You know, the civil rights movement was one thing, but they didn't make a concerted effort like evangelicals to get power in media and to have direct influence. Because you think about it, those that were active in the civil rights movement, it didn't go further than civil rights. It didn't go into what judges you picked. That just wasn't a thing. And, and people didn't, weren't thinking that way. Unfortunately, hindsight should have. Um, I think that's, that's pretty much it. You know, the, because to, to many in the faith community, there's a separation still between church and state or between the sacred and the secular is probably a better way Uh to describe it. And so most churches, even during the civil rights movement, it it was a stretch to go from liturgy to the logistics of politics all the time. So what the evangelical church has become is almost exclusively political Uh or secular than sacred. And for others in the sacred world, that's just not um, attractive. Black folk go to church to be spiritually filled and uplifted. They don't go to church to hear about how you can get a president to appoint a judge. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's completely absent, but that's not the, uh, the main purpose of, of worship. Right. And, and right. evangelicals, I would, I would say to them, there's, there's hypocrisy in what they do because they continue to support people um, with less than faithful or sacred character in exchange for political appointees who some of them are unqualified to be in those roles. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, My Kathy uh, came from Wisconsin and she was raised as a Missouri Synod Lutheran. And uh, when she came to Washington, I took her to an anti-freeway meeting in the basement of a church on Capitol Hill, and she couldn't believe it. She'd never seen anything like that in Wisconsin. And there were a lot of that. You know, when you think about it, the statehood movement started in the basement of a church. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there was a different feeling about it then. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it was, the movements were rooted uh, in some level of faith, right. but I think it gets soiled when it becomes about I'm going to get 200 judges appointed by Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. What is that? You know, and <laughs> what do you even do with that? And yeah. and how yeah. and how is that on the road to salvation for one issue? And that's abortion. And do we really believe? evangelical women have never had abortions? Do we really believe that evangelical men have not paid for abortions 
for women they've known. So again, it's, it's, uh, it's the weak that are led to believe that that is, a, is such a godly cause and such an urgent cause. You've got to stop abortion. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost sick to obsess over, over a choice and often unfortunate at least choice that many women are forced to make to mm-hmm. obsess over that. As if and and to make it to criminalize it so much so that you actually convince people that that's just a hobby, killing babies. We just like killing babies, kill all the babies, and, and 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 that keeps the the weak, using your term, Sam Smith, confused, and it's a distraction from the reality. Who's who's being aborted today? People are dying every day because of a pandemic that their evangelical or pseudo-evangelical president did not address. What about those lives? But we're more concerned about somebody aborting babies. But mm-hmm. all the people who've died who did not have to die in this pandemic, Sam? Yes, it's enormous. It's enormous. And that's the shame of it. That's the shame of it all, frankly. Um, but it, but it is something which, which I have noticed which is that uh, I guess I would describe it as the weaker influence of the good Christian leaders today compared to, say, with the 60s. And it's just something that sort of interests me. Because uh, you, you, you know what else I would say, too, Sam? If you are a true Christian or someone following a, a spiritual path, there's supposed to be, if you're genuine, and there's usually a sense of humility that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And so when you see other people betray humility to promote themselves or their evangelicalism, rarely do you feel called to compete with that. You sometimes, I think, feel even more called to present the opposite and how it should be. I'm not saying it's a good thing. That doesn't work. And we have to get into it with these folk. We have to show people to convert the weak. Uh, this is clean. This is dirty glass. This is clean glass. But I think the nature, I think you ask a very good question. And I think it's, you ask that question as I, this is the season of a lot of ministers, conventions and conferences. And I've been asked to be involved in a few of them. You're giving me something else to talk about. <laughs> really? I mean, does it serve us to confine ourselves to the four walls of our faith, so to speak, while others who purport faith are making decisions that affect us? Mm-hmm. You know? That's a good question you ask. Thank you. That's <laughs> right. Thank you, Reporters have good questions. They just don't have good answers. <laughs> real, real reporters. Some of these other folks who aren't real uh, 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 are good. Did you, by the way, did any of your, were any of your grandchildren, how, you, have, you have teenage grandchildren? You have any teenagers? I got one. Yeah. And she's not. She's um, grandchild. She huh? doesn't consider us qualified for uh, much information about her life these days. So, so when you hit 16. <laughs> Uh, was that teenager one of the ones that 
sabotage Trump's Tulsa rally? Do you know? No, no, I don't think she was. Wasn't that uh, wonderful, Sam? Yeah, that was that was something. <laughs> I mean, that was that was real organization. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That made my day. Made my right. end. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Folks, since 1964, beginning as the Idler. What was that name? How'd you come up with that name? That came out of a uh, publication that was printed in England back in, I think, the 18th century. Right. right, right. And I liked it. So wait a minute. I thought in the 18th century you were living here. You you weren't living in England in the 18th century, were you? No, I was living here, but uh, you could hear about uh, stuff there. He didn't catch what I said, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I said I did. It's just a little bit. <laughs> okay, The Idler, 1964. 19, uh, 1964 to 1967, the D.C. Gazette, 1966 to 1985, and then the Progressive Review uh, exclusively in 1985. We're so thankful. Since that time, for all that time, the news, while there's still time to do something about it, have you and, you and Kathy watched Hamilton yet? Uh, yes. Kathy is a great enthusiast. We went to see it in New York, and, we, and, and she watched it on TV. Okay. Um, okay. I have uh, problems because I sort of consider Hamilton a right winger, and uh, and also somebody wrote a piece the other day just recently about how many slave owners were being celebrated on in that play. I, I, it's 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 one of those things where I said, well, I'm not going to get into this fight with anybody. I just <laughs> I'm just not going to watch it myself. Well, it's interesting that we're having that conversation now. We didn't have that conversation when it first came out as much. So it's interesting. I think it's a good moment in terms of people's thinking having changed. If if Hamilton, Hamilton could not have debuted in the same way today. Yeah. Go back to that. mm -hmm. My, my feeling is we live in a dysfunctional nation, which is like a dysfunctional family. Hmm. And um, I grew up in a family that was like that with six children, um, parents who drank too much and didn't have much love. And what I learned from that was that there are some who react to that by never escaping the past. The evils of the past define their whole lives. My bedroom was up on the third floor and I created my own life. I said, this is going to be my own life that I'm creating. And I think that's something that we have to think about now is that, I mean, I view history as important to a married historian. And I believe that you need to learn from history. But the real work is to do something now for today and for the future. Uh, And the lesson of history very, very often is that we can do a hell of a lot better. Profound as ever. That's why he's got an Oscar and a Grammy <laughs> and a publication since 1964. ProRev.com, folks. ProRev.com. And on Twitter, follow it every day. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.